Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I decided to add some intro music after some consultations that I did with BMI, who handles music rights for popular music predominantly. This I wanted to have as my intro for the longest time, but I needed to step lightly because as the podcast is on major platforms, I did not want to step on any toes. I love the group and I wanted to get their music as something uplifting, something exciting, something different. Change a little bit of the vibe without changing the totality of the vibe, and that's where we're at. Feedback is always welcome. However, I have to, I have to in all candor, I have to start out with something that'll sound like a rant and it'll sound like a rant because it's supposed to, because I'm a bit flustered at this point with a lot of these different. So let me give you some basis. So you understand where I'm going with my, my rant, not quite rant. I'm a consultant. What I do is I make my services and my skills available to companies that are willing to pay for those skills and services. Just to put in perspective what a consultant is at the simplest level for everybody that's listening, there will be people who disagree with this, but conceptually when you think about what a consultant really is, it is no different than if you hired somebody for your windows, you hired somebody to do your plumbing, you hired somebody to do some woodwork, you hired somebody to do tile work, you hired somebody to do your lawn, which I've done. It's somebody that you are writing up a contract with And a contract is a two-sided document, two-sided not in the paper form, two-sided in terms of equal terms that are beneficial to both sides. This is what it's supposed to be. What I've seen more recently is that contracts are being executed with those that I guess are described as my peers, where they're just giving away the pony. They're just giving it away. They don't care. The company that they're trying to contract with has every right to terminate the contract immediately choose not to pay you whenever they feel like it, change the rates whenever they feel like it, all sorts of nonsense that is not advantageous to the contractor. And because contractors currently have been desperate thanks to the pandemic predominantly, but this started before the pandemic, but because of the pandemic, it's been made worse where they're now accepting pretty much anything just to get work to keep going. This I disagree with. I don't believe we should be in a world where the contractor has lost the power to control and dictate the structure of the contract to make sure it's equal. I'm not suggesting that contractors try to rip customers off. That's the last thing I want. I'm talking about very simple terms, things that are equal to both sides. It shouldn't be that company could do whatever they feel like it, but hey, contractor, you're getting your rate, so just be happy with that. No. So let me give you an example of the kinds of terms that I expect in a contract that I execute and I will hold fast to these requirements pretty much without any restriction. Travel. The vast majority of what I do doesn't require me to be in an office at all. I don't have to be in an office. I might choose to be in an office, but I don't have to be in an office because the nature of the work, especially now that we are moving towards cloud, is that I don't have to be anywhere even near my own computer. I can fundamentally do what I need to do on any device that has internet access. That's allegedly the benefits of cloud, is being untethered from physical devices to do simple tasks. As long as I can access a web interface, I can do what I need to do. I can walk to the library and do it. However, companies are still in this mind frame 
mostly driven by project managers, that we have to cram everybody in a room, group think about the next course of action, talk about the steps while somebody shows up a PowerPoint and somebody reads off of it. We do that same routine over and over again. So then we get these contract engagements where none of that's talked about in the contract because it has no business in the contract, but it's kind of an assumption of the work expectation that I should be able to do the work however it suits me as I am the contractor and I should be in strong dictate about how I do the work. They, the client, should dictate the outcome. What's the goal I need to get you to? My job is to get you to that goal within the confines of not only my skill set, but also budget, the time constraint that you've placed on me, and then other things I may be working on. Companies, by and large, are not pleased with that restriction. They want total control of you as if you were an employee. I've had companies try to force me as a contractor to do, quote, unconscious bias training, and I refuse because I am not their worker. I don't work for them. You don't put your plumber through that, so you're not putting me through that. Anything you put your plumber through, sure, we could talk about it, and I'll probably be okay with it. But you don't put your plumber through that, so why are you asking me to do it? Because they don't see contractors anymore as true contractors. They see them as employees that they don't have to pay benefits for. That's the key. As a contractor, we do have to command a rate that is inclusive of not only the money for our, our cost of living, but also to purchase the benefits that this company's not paying for and profit for the business that we run and possibly salaries for the people that we employ. There, and then I'm not even counting overhead costs, taxes and things. There's a lot that goes into our rate, but there's more than just the rate. We try, the most, the most ethical of us, I should clarify, we try to minimize the overall cost to the business that we're working with because we know that there could be a lot of demand from different clients and we need to be able to balance that work and work amongst them. Clients by and large that I've seen don't want you to do that. They want you to dedicate to them. You're going to be working for us for eight hours. You need to be online and on Slack for eight hours. We need to see that you're actively there. We should be able to pick up the phone and call you anytime. The phone thing's not a big deal, but when you're asking somebody to be active and available on Slack for eight hours, you've lost the pony at that point. What you're doing is you're abusing the contractor instead of hiring somebody full time because you don't want to pay the extra 30% of benefits and you're thinking you're getting a discount by going to the contractor. What most of us that know this do is we add that overhead back into our rate. There are people whose rates are twice, sometimes three times what mine is, and they do this because they know no, you're not getting away from paying for that benefit. So if you don't want to pay my rate, you need to hire an FTE. They don't want to hire FTE because the FTE requires not only the tax consideration, but also the benefits overhead. So now it's a tug of war. The contractors are trying to sustain our way that we need to do it. The clients are trying to pay as low as possible. And this was, this was again, somewhat of a newish development starting with the pandemic that I started seeing the rates offered go down. I put my rate out there. My rate, again, is a fraction of anybody else in the business. However, the level of the skill that I bring and, you know, resume is in some cases twice what theirs is. It's just that, yes, I don't need to step in a building, so I will not do. You will not force me to travel. You will not require me to stick anything in my arm. You will not require me to show any sort of proof of anything. 
except within the confines of what is legally acceptable. If you want to do a background check on me, have at it. If you want to do a criminal check, have at it. It's probably a good idea that you don't have criminals working in your organization, especially if you're dealing with the financial industry. I have no problem with that. Go right ahead. You're not going to run a credit check on me because it's illegal in most states. So I'll tell you, no, you won't do that. And you're not going to, sh- you're not going to ask me to produce anything that is credit in nature because you don't, you're not entitled to that. It has nothing to do. You don't do that to your plumber. So no, you're not going to do that. However, proof of licensure. Absolutely. You can see proof of my various certifications and dates and whole nine. I can show you all that, all you care to, that you're entitled to this. Absolutely. No, you don't need to know where I specifically live. It doesn't matter. Now, you may need to know where hardware is that you've shipped to me. However, if you use VDI, you don't need to ship me hardware. So let's talk about how we do VDI. Thus, you don't need to ship me anything. Thus, you don't need to know my address. Like it's this back and forth negotiation that should happen to get the client to what they need without them trying to dictate how that's done and trying to collect data or force standards that they would never imply across their plumbers or their window washers or their lawn people. So yes, I do take a stance different than many of my peers in what I require and what I don't allow in that engagement. I've had people try to ask me to do an I-9 form. Uh, No, because you don't need it because I'm not an employee and under the E-Verify standard, you are not onboarding onboarding me as an employee. The reason they ask is because payroll companies and certain companies like an UltiPro have said, well, why don't you just come, you know, bring your contractors on and onboard them through the payroll process and make it easier to pay them on your regular payroll cycle, which is usually bi-weekly because nobody pays weekly anymore. No, as a contractor, I tell you what the terms are, whether that's net 30, net 15, net 60, or immediate. I control the payment terms. You will pay me when I tell you you pay me because I'm a contractor. None of the companies want to do that because for them, it's actually an easier process, but they refuse to do it because in their mind, it's more convenient to onboard through the payroll process. So I'm having to battle when I get paid and why I get paid and I have to charge you fees and I have to charge you these other things that are not part of payroll consideration. And that's the reason why it's a separate invoice process. No, there are things I will charge you for. If you don't want those charges, avoid those activities and we ain't got a problem like this nonsense, unconscious bias training, which I charge a fee for. If you want me to sit through it, sure, I'm going to charge you until you stop. Not because I need your money, but because I'm trying to get you to stop. I'm trying to get you to say it's stupid to waste this money. He is the contractor. He's not required to do this. We're not going to require it, so let's back off of it. Or you can waste time trying to find another contractor that's willing to subject themselves to that. That's cool, too, and I'll go away. I have no problem with that either. But what we're not going to do in my world is to try to subject me or treat me like an employee and subject me to the employee type stuff because that's not the relationship that I need. The relationship I need is to get you the work done using the skills that I have, period, and then I go away as a contractor should. Where did all this come from? As I've done this over the past couple years, and I love doing it for when I was doing the vast majority of it, and I start to wind down some of those operations because I'm starting to see this shift in these clients where they're not, they're introducing more stupidity, more requirements I'm not going to be cool with. And ultimately, I still say, look, if you want the work, it's here, but we're going to need to lock stuff down because I'm not going to do these things. And now my conversations get shorter because I'm not having to deal with a lot of nonsense. But what I'm seeing now is I'll get a call 
And anybody who's a contractor out there will probably resonate with this. I'll just get a call. Usually it's 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, because they're sitting on the East Coast and they don't realize to actually check the time and see that it's Pacific time and I'm probably not awake then. I am, but you know what I'm saying. Be mindful and respectful of the time zone for which you are calling. Don't just pick up and call. So they'll just call and say, Yes, I am a da 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 da, da and I got this da 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 da, da deal, and da, da da da, you got these skills, and I found your resume, da da da, do do do. Just rambling off. And then it always ends with, Are you in the market right now? Are you available? You got some time? Da, da, da. It's always the same thing. Here's what I say to every single one of them it's a waste of time to just pick up the phone and call me for that purpose. And I know that I've said in the past, I'm a phone fan. I love talking on the phone. However, when we're talking business, and I don't know you, and I have not talked to you before, and you don't know where I stand, I want you to email me first. Because after you email me, tell me what it is you're looking for. I'll respond. I've got a template. I paste it back to you that gives you every bit of my terms so you can digest that and decide whether it's worth having a phone call. Chances are, by the time you read it, you're going to say, it's probably not worth having a phone call. I'll just keep looking. Great. We saved a phone call, you saved your time, you saved my time, or you might look at it and say, you know what, I can make this work because I'm the client in this situation, or I'm a third party and have contacted the client and I'll make that work because I think you're the right fit, we'll make this happen. Usually it's the former where they'll just say, they just won't respond at all, good, I like that, or they'll come back and say, hey, this, this term right here won't work, fine, that's not negotiable, or this term won't work, that is negotiable. Let's talk about it. Let's schedule a phone call. Because once we get to the point that the negotiables are the only kind of showstoppers, okay, let's schedule a phone call. Let's get it on the calendar. I, my time is reasonably flexible, but we need to schedule it so that I know, so that I can prepare and do my due diligence and research, the company and everybody that's trying to do, so that when I go on that call, I might be able to adjust depending on who you are. Let's say that it's a you know, a company I've done business with before, and I didn't have a negative interaction. Like there's a company down in Houston, Texas. I didn't personally have a negative interaction before. They just had to terminate the contract because not terminate, but they had to stop paying because of COVID. Well, no problem. If they call back and said, hey, we want you back on the books. Great. I might be willing to flex on the rate a little bit. Let's see what we can do to get this going faster. But that's different than the one that I had over in California that started playing the nonsense game, I might go back into business with them, but I'm charging you more because you played this game and the contract's gonna have different terms this time. I'm gonna lock it down because you're not gonna pull that nonsense again. Like I flex, I don't just come singular. If it's somebody net new, I've never talked to you before, you seem like great people, I, we got no issue and we get along and it seems like you're focused on the work and not the nonsense of the politics, then yes, I might be willing to work with you and I'll come with the lowest terms possible and we can make it happen. There are certain things I still won't let you do, which is don't try to treat me like an employee. If you try to treat me like an employee, my terms aren't going to change. That means you're not going to accept them because my terms are not for employees. My terms are for contractors. So that's kind of the, been this back and forth cycle. And so I get all these contacts all the time, at least one a day, all the time of just, yep, I got this opportunity. You got the skills. They need you. We want to get it in there. It's always immediate or urgent right? It's ready to move down. And then sometimes we do go forward and we get past the initial negotiations and it looks like it's a good spot. And we talk to the client and we get to the point where it seems like it's good. And then they take like two or three months, whether they respond or not, but it takes like two or three months. So it was, 
it apparently wasn't really urgent or immediate. They just were putting that out there to try to get people to contact now, 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 now. And then I'll get the same client over and over again. I've had multiple of the same freaking client time and time again for the same role. And I know it's the same role and they're not increasing staff. It's just they can't find anybody to fit that role because they're incompetent. They don't know how to screen people. They don't know how to bring contractors in. And fortunately, because of the level of skill they need, we're talking the top level in my industry. And so these people are just as picky as I am, and they're not playing the game either. At some point, I would expect the contractor to come down off their high horse, put on the big boy pants, and say, you know what, 50-50, let's talk, let's negotiate, let's figure out how to make this work. They don't do that. So then they waste tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars constantly searching because you're paying headhunters to find people you're using your own internal people to find people you're posting on all these sites you're going on linkedin you're paying for those services you're paying so much money all because you won't let go of this battle to where you're trying to onboard them like an employee and set up payroll and force them to stick stuff in their arm and force them to travel and force them to work a certain shift and force them to work on call with no extra pay you're doing all these things to try to treat them like an employee all the while, all you'd have to do is hire a full-time employee and you wouldn't have to worry about any of that, right? Because you can then impose whatever rules you want on those people. Or if you don't want the full-time employee because you don't want to pay the separate benefits, then you need to treat them like a contractor, which means you got to come down off your horse. So many companies refuse to create a separate onboard process. They don't treat the onboarding of a contractor separate from the onboarding of an employee. So for them, they can't see a delineation between the two, which is what causes the very rant you're hearing from me today. And remember, I warned you it was a rant. So this has been going on, I would say, once a day since 2019, let's say Q4 2019, once a day on clock minimum. I'll get that same outreach. It's the same story. Often it's the same company. I can, pin, I can pinpoint them at this point by way of the city and state that they're coming from. It's the same company. They still haven't filled that role and they keep coming back because they go to a different hiring firm because they think that hiring firm A failed when really the truth is their requirements are stupid. So they set up hiring firm B. Hiring firm B has just as much trouble as A because the requirements are stupid. It has nothing to do with the recruiter. It has everything to do with the client. Recently, let's say as of 20, when did I talk to them? 20, late 2014, maybe 2015. I think it was mid 2015. I get an outreach. I'm working contract and I'm working true uh, contract in the sense at the time. Then I moved into kind of a full-time contract role and the full-time contract role wasn't really working. But this other one comes along and they're offering contract to hire, which is W-2 generally speaking. And it's the same company that's been trying to contact me for three years now. And, well, three years since then. And it's positioned as it's perfect fit for you. It's your skills. You know, they're going to give you a corporate card for when you need to travel. This is pre-pandemic, of course, so travel is not a problem in my mind. As long as you give me a corporate card, cool, we can do that. You, you know, it's going to be contract to hire. You're going to work three months, and then we're going to onboard you as a full-time. And when it's a full-time, your pay is going to go up, so you start at this rate, which at the time wasn't a fantastic rate, but it wasn't terrible. It was lower than what, it, what I was doing, but it was – more flexible because it's contract. So I felt, let's go ahead and do it. I clarified with this company, it's a third party organization, very well known in the South. I clarified three times. Number one, there needs to be a corporate card. Yes. Number two, the travel should be minimal at best. 
Yes. Number three, I want to make sure that they're always going to expect me to be working from home. Yes. Number three was predominantly true. However, the travel requirements were basically them shipping me all over the country almost every week. The, and then when I started, they said, oh, well, we just canceled the corporate card for any contractors, so you're not going to get a corporate card, but you'll get one when you convert. Fine. So I just got to live with it for three months. They're shipping me all over the country. I think I told the story at one point. There are people, in, there's reps in the states they're shipping me to. They're choosing to send me from Washington State all the way to Philadelphia, Connecticut, uh, Michigan, Oklahoma, all over the place from Washington State, even though you have reps in those states. And I'm asking them, why does this make any financial sense? You've got reps who are just as skilled as I am, maybe a little bit less, that are already local there. They could drive to the client. Well, they don't want to, they don't feel like doing it. And so I'm the one being shipped. As I said in one of the past episodes, I'm not going to be in the sardine seats on a plane. So I have to do first class because I have a pretty high bill, a pretty good build. I'm not fat, but I'm just broad shouldered and pretty stocky. So no, I have to do first class every time. To me, first class feels like normal seats. First class costs a lot of money. I was willing to upgrade on my own cost, but I was assuming the minimal travel, which is what I was promised. It's weekly. So now I'm being shipped all over the freaking country weekly. I can't control the travel booking because it's done by a different company. They said you could do it yourself if you want, but you're paying the full ticket. I'm not paying the full ticket because I don't think it's my job to pay the full ticket for your work. You need to come out of pocket for at least the base ticket, and then I'll do the upgrade. And that seemed to work, except that I had a situation in Boston that I told where everything just went wrong. So this isn't working out. And so I'm having this major issue with this organization. And so I leave it. I was like, okay, once the three months hit, they said, we're not converting. You're going to stay contract. I said, screw that. I'm quitting. Done. Then this other company comes around who offers me a full-time position now, but it's through a contracting firm. So I go through them and then they basically place full-time. It sounds good. It's, it's what I wanted to do. And they presented it as a strong position for future success. And I was there for a few years. So that worked. This company, I was great to work with cyber coders, great to work with fantastic company, fantastic person. She was great from start to finish. After I started, she showed up with a welcome basket, I believe it was, and just kept in touch, make sure everything's going great. I had nothing but positives to say about that interaction. And the reason I told the story about the contracting interactions versus this one was the way that CyberCoders did it back then. This is 2015 now. The way that they did it back then was flawless. It was, here's who I am. Here's what I want. Here's my asking price. This is my term. And in that case, it was, it needed to relocate. That's fine, but I need some time, work with me. And I'll figure that out for the initial start date because I know you need that for uh, E-Verify reasons. But other than that, just work with me to make the move happen because I just bought a home a year prior. There's some things I got to figure out and then I'll make that full move. But initially, I'll just have to be playing two states. She went, she did the negotiations. She got everything coordinated, got the booking schedule. Everything was done. And then there was a back and forth with the whole rate. And they got to a point where I did have to settle for a little bit lower, but it wasn't significantly lower because there was still gross potential to the rate. She did a masterful job of negotiating on my behalf. And that's what I want all the contract engagements to be like that are not. In this case, it's a full-time place, but she did it perfectly. Yet 
I said, okay, CyberCoders was able to do this conceptually as a placement strategy and how you handle it and how you process it. Cool. I'll just focus on CyberCoders and I'll stop dealing with all these other ones that keep calling me because they don't know what the heck they're doing. So this was a great interaction. Fast forward now. And we're in the pandemic. Okay. So we're in early 2020, late 2019-ish. And CyberCoders calls on a couple more occasions. And it's different. It's not the same thing. It'll be a random, just like these other ones, it'll be a random reach out. Hey, I found your resume in our system and thought you might be interested in this over here. And it's a contract position. Okay, that's cool. That's what I want. Or it's a full-time place. That's fine. I don't mind as long as it makes sense financially. You know, and it's this, 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 and click this link to apply. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, we need you to apply to the system. You just said my system, my stuff was in the system. Why am I clicking something to apply? You already have me in the system. You placed me before. Well, it's a different, it's rich opportunity. I understand that, but you should inherit my data and just apply it. Click a button and it copies it over there. And then you request me go in and update the profile data, like maybe phone number and email, but that's about it. Well, no, we just got the process. But if you send me your resume, I'll go ahead and process it manually. Okay, well, why didn't you do that from scratch? So this happened like three times. All right, fine. I submit, hear nothing. Submit, hear nothing. Submit, hear nothing. So now this great company that did such a masterful job in 2015 with that gal, and I remember her name, all of a sudden they're just they're scatterbrained and they're just doing random stuff. I sometimes get two different outreaches from the same person for the same role, which drives me nuts because it means your CRM system is not assigning like it's supposed to. And it's just a completely different experience. And I don't know why something has changed within their the way that people act. And I understand different personalities and I understand different styles and I understand the game of recruiting and how it all works and how it's a numbers game. I understand all of that. But I do expect your company to have certain level set standards of how you approach potentials. This that I'm experiencing is totally contradictory to what I experienced in 2015. And so I'm seeing a strong negative shift in how cyber coders is, is presenting what they used to be great at. They used to, from my mind in 2015, they were the gold standard of any sort of interaction, whether it was for contract or full-time, just the engagement of working with a third party to place somebody was way better than anybody else at the time. I, I can't think of any other placement company that was doing it as good as she did in 2015. And now, whether it's due to the pandemic and desperation or whatever it is, it's like these guys are now just like everybody else. And I can't fathom why this is the case. So fast forward a little bit. A few weeks ago, I think it was a few weeks ago, might have been early December, I get an outreach. Again, it's CyberCoders again. It's doing the same thing. Got this role. See if you're interested. Apply here. I look at the position profile that he's got on there. It appears to be a full-time role, which I'm fine with as long as it financially makes sense. Like, I'm not against full-time work. I just need it to financially make sense. I work remote. I don't have, you know, they're not a fascist company or that, you know, as long as it's clean and it makes sense for me, I don't mind working full-time. I prefer to work full-time for the company. I just can't find the right one. So he gives me all this stuff, and I'm looking at the profile that he wants, and I don't meet, I meet probably 20% of what he's asking for. Like I'm looking at the, it's a business analyst role. I can do business analysis. I've done it before. But the things they're asking that they called out, the client called out as required. This is required. I don't have it. This is required. I don't have it. This is required. I don't have it. If they're required and I don't have it, I'm assuming you should have never contacted me. Because as a recruiter, 
you should be doing enough due diligence to make sure you're only contacting people who are at least a close fit to the darn role. Does that mean I can't do it? No, I could do it. But I will always, if your client says required and I don't meet it, I'm not even going to waste the time because there's a, that means that there's a bias somewhere inside that company. And I don't want to deal with bias. I don't want to deal with fascist companies. I'm sorry. So I'm looking at this and I clearly don't mean it. Maybe 20% I see potential, but I don't meet it. And I got pissed because, number one, he's sending me something where I clearly don't qualify based on the resume. There's no way he could have made an attachment to me unless he just did a search for the term business analysis, which is on my resume, and just started spamming out to a bunch of people. So that's number one. Number two, there's core education requirements that I think are stupid, but I understand every company asks for them for business analyst roles that I wasn't going to do. And so it's like, okay, that's not going to happen. And then number three, there are certain requirements that they're asking for all their employees that I'm not going to commit to. I'm willing to negotiate, but because of these other ones that are just basically deal breakers as far as I'm concerned, I'm figuring, why is this guy even contacting me? So I'm also thinking of it from a business owner perspective because I still own the business at that point, and I still have it. But I'm saying, why would I even do business with you guys when you're treating your clients like this? You're just spamming this out. You're not doing the client any good service at all. So why would I even use your service? So I was really pissed at this dude because it felt like he just didn't give a crap about his client. That's So I'm thinking of it from not just the applicant perspective, but also as a possible future user of their service because I was so impressed with them in 2015 from the applicant perspective that I was okay using them again as an applicant, but I also was okay considering them potentially as a customer of their product. But this email comes in and it just seems like they just don't care. Like there's no... And I know I keep referencing 2015, but it's because it was so dramatically different. She did such a masterful job, and I do work a niche product. This is true. But she did a masterful job of doing at least a basic understanding of the product to make sure that what I was describing, what I brought to the table, matched what the client was expecting and what they were looking for near perfectly. I believe I was a perfect fit for the role as it was stated at that time. It wasn't even close. I think they screened one other person. But ultimately, it was it was a wash. Here, you're just spamming stuff out, just like everybody else does. Just like all these other spun-up, instant spun-up MBEs that are out there. You're just spamming out to a bunch of people based on keywords. I still get inquiries of OCI, which is a certification I do hold, or API, which is a generic term, when it has nothing to do with the core technology. It just happens to be a different, like, Oracle has its own OCI, but that's not what I do. It's ARM-based, not Oracle, but they're the same acronym. So that tells me people are just searching the acronym without any due diligence about what is behind the acronym. To the point I spelled out on my resume on the second page what the acronym is and what it specifically means and what it does and why you should care about it. And they don't even read it. They just get a search keyword result and spam it out. So I chew this guy out. Because I'm really upset that this happens and I'm upset that the, that the business has gone this, this bad and it's gone this direction. This dude comes back and says, quote, you need therapy. Now, setting aside for the moment that he's responding to my message. Again, I am resonating from the angle not just as an applicant but as a business owner. You just used corporate email to accuse somebody of needing therapy. Setting aside for the moment why you said it, you shouldn't say it to any customer, any client, 
anybody that you're doing business on behalf of your company and you represent the company that's the face of that brand and you say something like that is disrespectful to people who really do need therapy, people who really do need help of any kind, is flat out disrespectful because you failed to do your own due diligence and you failed to screen properly and you're doing a disservice to your client because you spam stuff out and you wasted the client's time with contacts that were never going to go anywhere. Because even if you did get me in front of the client, the client's going to look at it and say, this doesn't meet our requirements. What the heck are we paying for? So he's already now pissed me off to the, to the total. And I'm done with it. I'm done with this dude. I'm done with cyber coders. I will never use them again because they're not the same company they used to be. And I took the level and some of these guys seem not to know. They, they think they're slick or as Zab I say, slick, slick with it. They think they're slick because they think I can't find their boss. I have a service where I can find your boss if I want to find your boss. You shouldn't want me to find your boss because I will make sure your boss understands what you just did. Because you think you're going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with it. I will call you out. That's where I'm at now. I don't allow that unprofessional behavior to come back at me. When you fail to do your job and I'm calling you out on it, you should say, you know what? You're right. I apologize. I didn't. I missed that. Like the whole OCI business, I had one guy who called about the OCI, and I said, you realize this is Oracle, and there's nothing about Oracle on my resume. He said, oh, I didn't realize it was Oracle, and I pointed him at the second page. He said, oh, I didn't scroll that far. Well, you should, and I'll call you out. But with this dude, no, I sent it straight to his boss and the CEO of the company and said, this is a representative of your brand, and I used to work with you guys, and I was happy with the service you gave at the time, and things have changed, and you should not be okay with this. This guy represents your company. He's, he's essentially the voice of your company with respect to this interaction, and you're allowing this, and it's a misuse of company email. I'm pretty sure it's against policy, but it's also unprofessional. It's disrespectful, and you should not tolerate this, and I implore you to take action. Now, the action that was taken, which I'm assuming was triggered by my email because that person, the, the boss, the big boss, the president, responded back and said, no, you're right. This is not what we wanted, and I apologize for that. I'll investigate and get back to you. He never got back to me. He's probably a busy guy. That's fine. Then this guy that sent the therapy message chimed back and CC'd who appeared to be the HR person with an apology and said, oh, I, you know, I do all this stuff to help people who need therapy and all this, which might have been a prepared answer. I don't care, and I didn't acknowledge him because to me, and I said this before to a lot of people in a personal life, it's like I don't acknowledge those apologies because you should have stopped at that time and thought it through before you even compiled that message because you already knew it was wrong the moment you typed it out. So why don't you stop, breathe, stretch, shake, let it go. Like Mace says, stop and think about what you're about to put in writing before you put it in writing instead of putting it out there and then throwing an apology. That's what everybody does. And they think it's cool. It's not cool with me. You should be, you're, you're an adult. I know you have to be because you have to be at least 18 to work there. So you're an adult and you should present yourself as an adult if only to make sure that your company is best represented in the eyes of the public. Rather than garbage like that, talking about people needing therapy, which is just going to set me off and you don't know me personally. That's why I had an issue with it and that's why I escalated it. This is what I would love my peers to do is to not take abuse. I'm talking abuse in any form. I'm talking abuse in terms of low rates where you know it's a garbage rate. I'm talking abuse in terms of spamming out inquiries over resumes. I'm talking where they BCC you and you know they got a bunch of other people they sent to, just a bunch of garbage sends that don't do the clients any good. I'm talking vendors that don't challenge their clients on stupid requirements that are not necessary. 
I'm talking clients that are just implementing requirements that have nothing to do with the work. I'm talking the requirement to do stuff that contractors should not do, like I-9s for a contract 1099. Makes no sense in the world and should not be supported. I'm talking about onboarding through payroll, which basically limits you as a contractor to setting your own payment terms. I'm talking any terms of abuse. Emails like this that come at you where you know it's inappropriate and you know it's wrong because they don't respect you. They don't respect you and they don't respect your craft. And that's something that shouldn't be accepted. And that's when I'm, my message is, using CyberCoder's example, they were a fantastic company in 2015. I was a, it was a pleasure working with her. I would love to have worked with her again. It didn't happen because I think she moved on. But ultimately, I, at that point, was saying to myself, I would love to just work with them for any other placement that happens in the future. And so I registered with them in good faith, hoping that that would happen. It didn't happen. And instead, the polar opposite happened. Whether or not it was a reaction to COVID, whether or not it was a reaction to desperation from the clients, I don't know. I don't care. All I can say to you here and now, I don't, I don't know what happened to the industry and the business that has caused this abuse to become tolerated outside of, of course, government regulations not protecting us, which we've seen. I don't know where we got to the point that this was all okay, but I'm less satisfied with seeing a company like CyberCoders get to that point when at one point they were excellent how they interacted and now they're just like everybody else. So it's a race to the bottom. They're all turning it into a commodity. There's no respect for us who are the skilled workers out there who are trying to make a craft and trying to feed our families, doing what we do and contributing our skill, but also protecting ourselves and protecting what our boundaries so that our boundaries are respected as individuals or as businesses, because it applies both ways. If you're a business, you should be protecting your workers. If you're an individual, you're protecting your own craft. And regardless, there should never be a situation where you are subject to that kind of race to the bottom rat race. And for those that are curious, it's next to impossible to get directly into the opportunity because so many of them now have contracted out what this does. They won't even talk to people like us. They only will talk to the businesses because the businesses have, you know, millions of dollars and hundreds of clients and all that. So there's this assumed trust, even though it's still that race to the bottom and certain companies I could call out that I won't name because they just work on quantity rather than quality. They just onboard clients and then mistreat them, which causes the client to then go out to bid to try to find FTEs to fill the gaps that these contractors are not able to do, or you're dealing with crap solutions like access databases stuck all over the place because there's a lack of skill out there and they don't want to pay for people like myself to help build the right solution that's sustainable and it'll just last for however long as long as you leave it alone. So ultimately I started in a place, but it all circles together. I started in a place which is contract work and the world of contracting and the world it should be, which is, to use my analogy that I always use, you call me because you have a draft in your home. You trust me to figure out why there's a draft, but that's all you tell me is that there's a draft. It's up to me to figure out why. It's up to me to craft a solution. It's up to me to provide a quote, and it's up to you to decide based on everything I told you, does it sound like I make sense? Does it sound like it's credible? Did I prove it to you? And is the rate worth paying either because of urgency, time, availability, schedule? Okay, if it's not, shock me out. Feel free. Call me back when you fail. 
because I already know you fail, because I already know that there's a lot to this. And what tends to happen is there's people who simply will just go down to Home Depot and they'll buy windows from Home Depot with the Home Depot installation with no due diligence because it's just they're the cheapest windows and one of the windows cracked because somebody threw a baseball through it. And they'll buy the cheapest window possible and that window fails in two years. And so then they replace it again, all because they refused to talk to somebody like myself who would have told them, what are these other risks and this draft that you're having? Is because your windows failed and it looks like you cheaped out of the windows, so let's get you better windows so they don't fail again. And it looks like you got kids, so let's get you stronger windows that are able to be more durable around this. And let's talk through what you really need. Then you should be able to justify why my rate's so much higher. It's because I'm getting you a long-term solution that's going to sustain you for the future. That's what you're paying for, skill. You're paying for talent. You're paying for knowledge. You're paying for long-term value, not the short-term sticker. And if somebody else refers you to me, that company is not going to tell me what my rate will be. I'll tell them what my rate is. They need to present it to you as I've presented it to them if you're concerned about the third party, let's get rid of the third party and talk directly. If the third party is who I'm talking to, third party, this is what I offer in terms of Windows services. You need to make sure you understand how Windows works so that you don't present Home Depot as an option to the client when you already knew it wasn't going to be the right answer. Contracting is a very precise science. It takes a lot to be a contractor because you have to think about not just the client, not just the rate, but their benefits that you don't get otherwise, the cost of doing, you know, cost of doing business, your electricity, your internet service, your hardware that you use at home, the audio video equipment that you might use to do meetings, any lighting that you might require. You have to think about so many different things as a contractor, travel requirements and all these, all these regulations and registrations and taxations and everything else. You've got to reconcile all that together which you don't have to think about the vast majority of when you're an employee. But because you are subjected to doing all that stuff, you are entitled to calling the shots. They should not call the shots. You should call the shots. And if they try to call the shots on you, if you're a contractor or you're considering being one, you should feel confident pushing back on it when you know it's wrong, when you know it makes no sense and you know it's stupid. So let's do a call to action. I have not done a call to action on Gentleman's World. I do it on the crypto podcast, basic cryptonomics all the time. And I'm going to start doing it here because I think it's important. I'm going to start doing it on every single one that I do. I will have a call to action because I think it's important for you to start thinking about these things. Number one, if you're considering being a contractor and I put a post on LinkedIn and I will share this video or this audio in this case on LinkedIn, I put a link about how you need to calculate what it really takes to be a contractor before you go into it. Don't just settle for the rates that are out there. If you're new, you might have to settle for a lesser rate, but it's critical that you understand the fair market rate for the work that you do. Then supplant that with your background resume experience from full time, because you should have at least some of that. If you're fresh out of college, you might have to settle for a lesser rate because you don't have the work experience. But generally speaking, the contractors are going to be your niche sides or something like cloud, that's a big thing. Something like SEO, that's a big thing. Something like crypto is starting to be a big thing. These are ones that you might have college expertise, but you don't have work experience. 
So you might have to settle for a lesser rate, but you need to understand what fair market is and then at least try to negotiate the rate. Chances are you can get a little bit of flex above what they're offering if for no other reason than to make sure it's fair. And always, always, always count how much it costs for the benefits. Benefits are generally 30% overhead over whatever the annual is going to be. So if they're offering you an annual as a contractor that's equivalent to about 60000 bucks, no problem. Just make sure that you account for that $18,000 over top of that, and that would be your rate, and then calculate it out to an hourly or whatever. Make sure you account for that overhead. Don't do without the overhead unless you know you can afford it. If you're new, you may have no choice, but I would not just bow down to whatever first rate they throw out there. Second, read the contract. I can't stress it enough. Read it. Read what they're talking about. The three things I think stand out. Number one, termination. How does the termination work for them and how does it work for you? A lot of them will put it to where they can terminate you anytime they feel like it for any reason instantly with no advance notice. To me, that's unacceptable. To me, they should be required to give you some notice of the intent to terminate and the reason to do so. Many of them will not flex on that. But the reason I think it's vital is because for your budget planning, you need to project out. So if you're planning that you're making 5000 a month on the contract and it's scheduled for three months, okay, you've planned for $15,000 to show up total. And then you're planning your taxes and you're planning your expenses and you're planning all this. If you do that first month and everything's cool and then they terminate you instantly, that's $10,000 you just essentially, quote, lost. That's not acceptable. You should be aware that you're not going to have X amount in advance. So they should be forced, in my opinion, to give you at least 10, 15 days notice so that you can update your projections, but you still make a little bit to kind of get there. And then based on that termination time frame, you can adjust your budgeting to take it into account. Okay, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to get, in this case, $6,000, period. I expect 15, but at minimum, it's going to be six grand. They should be able to accommodate you if you ask, but many of them will not. I'm saying you should ask. Ask the question. Some of them will say, well, we just don't know. Budgets or whatever. They know. They do know. What they're doing is they're saying it, the decision's above us. We can't, we can't change how our leadership decides the thing. Yes, you can. When you go to your leadership to approve the budget, you need to approve a buffer for contingency, and that's what they don't want to do, but that's what they should do. By the time they come to you, They've already had the budget conversation, which is low, and they have not a plan for a contingency. And that's why I usually push back. If you're going through a third party, the third party can come out of their pocket to add that contingency on their behalf, but that's assuming it's an ethical company. I say ask the question. It doesn't hurt to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. I think it should be there a minimum 10, 15 days of notice so that you can plan appropriately for what you're guaranteed to get. They can impose a time for you to terminate, but I don't think it should be extreme. Like some I've seen, okay, you need to give us three days notice of termination. Uh, no, I'll give you the same termination that, I, that you give me, 10 to 15 days. It needs to be the same. So that clause should say either party can terminate da, 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 within 10, 15 days. It needs to be fair. It can't be that yours is extreme short, whatever, or we have to give notice and you don't. No, it's 50-50, same term for both sides. Because we have the same risk. If we're out of that money, we're just as bad as if they're out of the money. So no, it needs to be 50-50 in my opinion. So that's number one. 
any sort of arbitration, mediation, uh, jurisdiction, any clauses that are trying to impose rules that you don't agree with or are not legal in your state, you're probably not going to be able to change them, but you should be aware of them. So some states will say, you know, this is formed under the rules and laws of Missouri. Okay, fine. You need to understand what those laws and rules are because if it forces like mandatory arbitration or something, maybe that's not going to work if you plan to sue them for $20,000. And in some cases, you might be in a state where you have that right because if you formed a business and you did it as corp to corp, you might have the right to override their forced arbitration and proceed with a lawsuit. I'm just saying you need to understand it, whatever it is they're stating in the contract, and then contrast that with whatever your terms and your legal rights are in the state of formation. Because even though it's in the contract, it doesn't make it exclusively binding if it contradicts law, state law. Just make sure you understand it. Speak to legal counsel about what your rights might be. Ideally, before you sign it, they're going to press you to sign it right away. But ideally, before you sign it, at least just get, a, get eyes on it. There are services that will do that for a nominal fee, legal services that will do it for a nominal fee and just give you feedback about here's what you need to know. And then ultimately, it's your decision on how to proceed. And then critically important is going to be the rate. In my opinion, the rate should not be subject to change at any point outside of a new contract. So when you sign a contract and they say, okay, we're going to pay you $45 an hour. If you're fine with $45 an hour, that rate will not change without a new contract. And the reason I think that's a good idea is because I don't believe that any service should be able to change the rate out from underneath you without you being okay with it. Meaning that if they write the contract that just says rate is to be up to $45 an hour, no, that's a joke because that means that they can underpay you at will and you can't do anything about it. So to me, it's hard, fast. You will pay me $45 an hour. And within, with addition to that, whatever that term is, so if it's per hour, per week, per day, whatever, ideally there should be a guaranteed minimum number of X. This is going to be hard to sell. But the reason I think it's a good idea is, again, goes to budgeting. You're planning for a certain amount of money to come in. And for them to just say, well, it's $45 an hour, but the hours are unknown to me is unacceptable because that means they could onboard you, have you on for a week, and only pay you one hour per day. Well, what good does that do? You're less than minimum wage at that point. It's not worth your time, especially if they try to reserve you to the contract and reserve you to the terms. So I would recommend saying, no, if we're going to do that rate, fine. That rate cannot change, not a new contract. There needs to be a certain guaranteed minimum number of hours allotted or a number of days or weeks, whatever term, minimum associated with this version of the contract. And if we need to change it, we need to do a new contract with notice. A lot of that's going to get pushed back. I'm saying you should ask. I'm saying you should request it. Get into the groove of requesting what you think is fair before you sign it. Read it. Make sure you understand it. Request what you think is fair. You got to be reasonable because it has to be 50-50. Just don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to push back on nonsense. That's around the contract. Secondary to this, and I'll wrap up with, anytime you're dealing with a contract company, which is either, usually it's a recruiter company, like a Cybercoders, like a Kelly, like a, you know, some of these other ones that are out there. Anytime you're dealing with those recruiter companies, or if it's the client directly, it doesn't matter. Anytime you're dealing with these companies, there has to be a certain expectation of professionalism that goes with them reaching out to you because they should be reaching out to you in respect of your skills and talents to the point that you feel like you are in control. 
when they're trying to dictate to you, you're not in control. And to me, I would walk the other way. I know that there's a tendency to be desperate, especially when you're new or it's low and you're kind of just trying to get some work. I would much rather you just go personally full time to just get some work as you go until you get the right contract. Because if you don't have the good relationship with those vendors or with those clients, it's not going to sustain anyway. And if you don't have that trust, two-way trust where you know that they respect you and they're willing to meet you halfway, it's not going to last anyway. And it'll become a toxic relationship. There are people out there, my so-called peers, who will just tolerate that abuse. But when you do that, the abuse just increases out there to when you're newer or you're fresh out of college, it's harder for you to find those quality contract opportunities. That's why I want my peers to stop accepting abuse and stop tolerating abusive contract relationships. Yes, it's just business. Yes, it's all money. But ultimately, it has to be good money. It has to be good for everybody involved. We all should want quality solutions and quality interactions with the people that we do business with because we all get enriched as the quality of what we do increases. When we don't have that quality, what it creates is distrust on the point of the third parties. And because there's distrust and then they have a lack of knowledge because they don't trust anymore, they're just spamming out inquiries, which is a low quality lead, quote unquote, for us. And for the client, they don't find what they need. Or if they do get somebody in there, they go and they screen them and that person lies and they make up false references and they get them in there and they put crap in like an access database that we know is not sustainable and they just take the money and run. This isn't sustainable, and we shouldn't support it, and we shouldn't celebrate it. We should stop it. We have the power to do that. We have the power to increase rates again. We have the power to get things back on track. In order to do that, we can't allow the third party to dictate. We can't allow the client to dictate. We've got to force everybody to negotiate with us so that they're meeting us halfway. You should be able to be in control of your own terms for what makes sense for you, And nobody should be able to tell you otherwise. And if they don't like it, they should be able to shop you around. And if they get somebody else there and that person is able to do what they want to do, great. We should celebrate that as long as that person had just different terms, but they ultimately were still 50-50 and they weren't being dictated to. All I'm saying, folks, is I don't think we should ever let any third party, no matter who it is, if we're contracting, treat us any different like their window vendor, like their plumber, like their landscaper, like their woodworker, like their bricklayer. That's what we should be treated as. We come in, we have skills that they lack. They're willing to pay for those skills. They can shop us around if they want, but ultimately we're treated with a modicum of respect for the craft and what we bring to the table instead of being treated like basically a cheaper version of employee, which is what they try to do and subject us to employee-based requirements and rules, but then don't want to on board as a full-time employee and give us the benefits that we deserve. We got to recognize the game because that's what it is. It's a game. I hope that that's been enlightening for you. I hope it's been somewhat informational for you. I hope you've heard something that you didn't know before. And I implore you as an additional call to action to research everything I've said, please go and query everything I've said in terms of the way that contracts work and contractors are being treated. If you're, considering getting into it. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying go into it with at least the appearance of control and try to get people to meet you halfway. Don't let them dictate to you. If you're new to it, you might have to compromise on some stuff, but don't compromise on everything because no, you should have your own rights. 
and you should maintain those rights. And to my peers that are already in the business, to me, I think you're giving too much away to these companies, and it's causing toxicity from the companies from multiple angles, whether it's low rates, whether it's just the way that they talk to you, whether it's the spamming out of inquiries. We're doing disservice to clients, and some clients are just now so frustrated with the process that they're just kind of throwing stuff out there and hoping it sticks, and then they're not able to commit to somebody because their requirements are too picky because they've found so many bad prospects that got sent to them by these companies. It's all a domino-based process, and we got to stop it. We can stop it for the health of the business. At some point, we got to stop blaming the pandemic for what we're seeing because I just believe it's a byproduct of the fact that we've got a current administration in there that has no problem of costing people their livelihood and all it's doing is driving people to different outlets to try to sustain their life. And as a result, people are getting desperate and the desperation is just making things worse. I don't agree with the desperation. I understand it, but I don't agree with it because I think we should be able to solve that problem. And I think we should be able to get back on track and get people back to work in whatever control makes sense for them, whether that's full-time and then you agree with whatever rules that they have because it's full-time. And in exchange for that, you get the benefits that come along with, or it's as a contractor where you should call the shots. This is what I want. This is what I expect. And this is what you will do. And you'll meet me halfway on my terms as a contractor. You'll onboard me as a vendor. I'll fill out your W-9 and you'll pay me as a 1099 or pay my company as a corp. I will not do your training. I will not do whatever, but I'll get the work done for you within the terms of a contract that I've agreed to and vetted properly before I signed it. I wanted that simplicity. I think we should be able to get that simplicity back. I don't see a reason why we can't. And I think until we do, this is just going to get worse before it gets better. And I'll, I'll say this. I still have my companies. Right now I've got two of them, officially two. There's three technically, but officially two companies still up there. I've got one inquiry out there that's pending. This came in from another one of these third parties. He seems like a nice guy, but he lacks the history of what happened before. I've dealt with him before, and it was a bad experience before. And I've told him, if you're able to give me a good experience this time, we can move forward and make a deal happen. But you got to move quick, because if you don't move quick, I will shut that one business down, because there's no reason to keep it active at this point, because I'm not going to play the rules of these companies, and I'll just do 1099 and not worry about corp to corp which will limit my prospects, but I'm okay with it because I have the other business, which of course is the podcasts, which is talking to you guys more so on the crypto side, which is gaining steam. And I'll go feet first all into it if I have to, because that one, I have total control of the situation, total control. Even if I were to lose my hosting platform, I have three other platforms to be able to host and I control the messaging and I can make a difference before I depart the earth. I can say my message was heard by somebody and hopefully it made a difference to help people. And I hope this message has helped you guys just to kind of understand where my head's at in the world of contracting that it is as financially precious as it should be and the decline that I'm perceiving and a desire to get back to what we had and a desire to get to where we should be because I think that there's no reason that we can't, but I can't do it alone. I've got to have the help of those that are already in the business. i got to have the help of others who they've sensed the same things I have and they've taken no action and I'm calling them to help take action to stop that abuse. I will see you guys in a couple of days because, again, this has a slower cadence. Again, you can find us right now. Our site, we have a site now, 
CryptoTalkRadio.net is the website that links you to our different sources. If you're interested in the various podcasts that we have, there are three podcasts, and I'm introducing this now because I've never talked about it because there wasn't a need to, but I will introduce it now. The site's CryptoTalkRadio.net. takes you straight to the link, and I would implore you, if you are one of those who's like me and you resonate with what I said, and as a result, you're interested in other sides like cryptocurrency, the crypto podcast is booming, and it's the place to be for covering various cryptos. That's where I'm going next to cover my next set of cryptocurrencies that seem to be spiking in Q1 as a possible alternative to the nonsense that is contracting and where my journey has taken me next. Next episode, and this is unique to Gentleman's World, next episode, I'm going to talk about a different topic than I've ever talked about before. I'm going to go through the list of stories that I detailed in my book, and I'm going to start with, I started with one with last episode that I did on January 1st. I'm going to go to the next story. The next story, I think, is going to make you laugh a little bit. That's my hope. But there's a call to action to it. And I want you to take away from that story nothing but positives, even though it has some negatives to it. I want you to take away nothing but positives. I want you to take away nothing but positives from everything that I share on Gentleman's World because, again, I have reason to suspect that at some point my memory will fail me completely. And this is the last opportunity I had to put stuff out there. So either I'm right and this will be successful in that regard or I'm wrong. And at minimum, I got a chance to make somebody's day. Take care.